Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do lift your name on high this morning. What a mighty God we serve. What an awesome privilege it is to be in this place this morning, gathered together as your beloved children, lifting your name high, claiming your majesty and your glory and your supremacy, and ah, you are awesome. You are awesome, God. And we bask in your presence. We we ask for your filling. We come with open, heart, open hands today. We need you, Lord. We need you. We need you. I'm just going to read a few verses from Psalm 84 as we begin uh, this portion of our service. I just there's a, a a picture behind me called Home which an artist named Betty Dickinson painted. And she painted it with Psalm 84 in mind. And I'm just going to read a few verses and just ask that you, you just ask the Lord to minister to you as you look at that painting this morning. There may be a special word that he has for you through that this morning. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Just look at that little baby bird with his eyes closed and mouth wide open. And the Lord says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. So let's just spend a few minutes letting the Lord speak to us through that painting. We praise you, Lord. We praise you that you are already filling our mouth as we have come hungry this morning for you to meet with you as we, as we open our mouths and we've come already with open hands, with open hearts, with open mouths. We ask that you would continue to fill us, restore us, refresh us, Lord, by your spirit this morning. We thank you and praise you. Amen. So for uh, those who weren't here last week, I'm Stephanie Robinson, and uh, I am here with you for a couple of months doing a pastoral internship, and um, I told the story last week that the Lord just put that together. This, this was the Lord's idea and made it clear to Keith and, uh, and to me. And I, over the next couple of weeks, by the end of March, am hoping, to, hoping and praying to start a betrayal trauma support group. So there's information at the back there. There's these sheets. And um, this is um, a group for women who have either experienced um, infidelity, their spouse has um, either left or betrayed in some way or uh, struggles with the sexual addiction. Um, and it's a time of support and prayer. We're going to be working through a book together. The cost is free other than the, the cost of the manual that we'll be working through. Um, this is a really important um, important ministry, and there's not a lot offered in our city right now because betrayal causes so many deep things to happen within us that can become blocks for us to experience healing in other ways. And so it's vitally important that 
if you've experienced betrayal in some way, that you get support through that um, and, and to, to gain greater freedom in your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with uh, your spouse, if that's still something you're working through, or with other people in other relationships to learn to trust again. Betrayal hits deep. And so this is something I feel the Lord has been putting on my heart, calling me to do. Um, but you need to reach out um, as soon as possible if this is something the Lord is placing on your heart or you say, I think I could use that, that would be something really important for me to do. Please reach out to me as soon as possible. We already have uh, four women committed and I'm hoping to run both a morning group and an evening group because uh, I know some people are um, only free in the morning. And so hopefully each group will be about four or five women. Uh, so there's lots of opportunity, lots of possibilities for you. Um, so please come and talk with me. I will be here every week. Um, you can email me. That my email's on there. You can call me. We can get together. You can, if you're not sure if this is something for you. And it's a bi-weekly group. So it's not that it's a huge um, commitment. I mean, it does have some work for you to go through in the workbook. So it's some commitment, but it is... It's an opportunity to feel heard, to feel supported, to meet with other women who have experienced the same thing. Um, so we are praying for the Lord to bring those groups together. He knows who needs to be together. So bless you, and I look forward to chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you, Steph. It's really important because um, uh, I know people, and you know people, that um, are dealing with the, that issue of betrayal in an intimate relationship and 40 years have gone by, 20 years have gone by or whatever it is and it's still there, it still comes up in conversations. How do you know something's active? You're still talking about it. Um, so it's, I think it's really important and uh, I'm really happy that Stephanie is here to do that um, and has the expertise that she has in inner healing and knows how to handle stuff. You're not in the hands of somebody who doesn't know how to handle stuff. Uh, so it's a, it's a safe place. It's a very safe place. Well, everyone made it on time. That's good. No one showed up an hour early. How many, how many had their power go out last night? Mm. It's a fragile world we live in. It is so fragile. But um, we have been talking about discipline according to Hebrews uh, 12, chapter 12. We're going to go through that. Just going to pray. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you are here. I'm just so thankful, Father God, that you are here. And you are here by your word. You are here by your spirit. You are here in everybody that is seated here. And Father, this morning, I'm just very thankful for that. And I come to you as one who needs your strength and your spirit and your truth, your transforming power. And Father, we thank you also that you are a loving, compassionate, long-suffering, caring, slow to anger, merciful God. Amen. Father, that is who you are, and we are your children. And I don't know, Father God, the totality of it here on earth, but I know that is a glorious, glorious inheritance we have in Christ. So come, Holy Spirit, and reveal more of that to us. In Jesus' name, amen. What we've been looking at is the uh, attitude we need when facing difficulty, opposition and suffering in our faith and uh, Hebrews 12 uh, right through for like six or more verses it's talking specifically about attitudes we should have to deal with opposition suffering and difficulty and I've said it before and I, I will say it again that I do not believe uh, we're going to return to some utopic place 
where everything is easy. Not that everything was always easy because many of you have lived very difficult lives. I've had difficult situations. But in the overall Western culture where we've had it so easy compared to the rest of the world, if you haven't traveled to India or to Africa or other places where things are much more difficult, um, we are living the dream in the West. That's why the whole world wants to come here. But I don't think that's going to stay that way. I really don't. And I certainly don't think the church is going to have the favored status it had uh, maybe 50, 60 years ago. And we're starting to see that. We need to know how to handle difficulty, opposition, and suffering in, in whatever ways it may happen. So we're told in the previous ch uh, verses that we looked at before that we should first take an honest stock of our life, take a look at what's maybe in our life that we shouldn't have in our life, also take a look at any kind of sin stuff that's going on, confess and deal with it. Isn't it so wonderful that we serve a God who does not take you and put you out on the back porch when you've done something wrong? That God is, takes us and invites us in when we're willing to confess and to bring to him our broken and sinful parts because that's what Jesus died for. It's so crazy sometimes as Christians when we see things in ourselves that is not the way that we want it to be and we know it's sin or we know it's disobedience or whatever it is. Our first response is to walk away from God or think that we're not somehow worthy, but yet that's the very reason Jesus came. So we have to come to the cross. I have often looked at people when they do not take communion. And I know I came from a, you know, I grew up in some forms of church that, you know, if you're, if your life isn't perfect, you can't touch communion. Um, but in actuality, it's when we reflect on ourselves and see our broken self, that's when we should be jumping on communion because it is, it is what reminds us that the price has been paid for our brokenness, for our sinfulness. So never turn away from communion. I, I, unless there's something extraordinary that needs to be worked through, um, you know, that is where we go. But anyway, after these verses from the last time we spoke, the writer of Hebrews turns and focuses on the next thing that we should look at when we're dealing with hardship. And it's Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 that we'll go into. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. So there really is the potential of growing weary and giving up. A lot, I was on a pastoral call, a Zoom call on Friday with uh, Pentecostal pastors from around the Maritimes. There's about five or six of us. And what, I haven't been with them probably in two years. What a tired bunch of people. They, you could see they're just beaten. Uh, not beaten down and not, you know, defeated, but just tired. Uh, church has been very difficult uh, over the last couple of years, as you know, in trying to keep community and trying to just having our whole, what we've known as normal, thrown up into the air. And it's thrown a lot of pastors up into the air also. But when we look at this situation that, that Hebrews is talking about here, about Jesus uh, enduring the cross because he knew what was coming, it's very difficult because we have made a Christian industry in the last 50 to 60 years. We've really made an industry out of God and what he gives to us in this life. We really have and it would be crazy for you and I to think that we aren't somehow influenced by that, even subtly. The, uh, the idea that we might have to, or God may call us to live uh, with an illness, an unanswered prayer, unfulfilled ambition, setbacks, disappointments, hostility to our faith, that just is not something, that's not something that we're readily willing to accept. And it's not easy for us to make the transition in a culture of ease when we're raised in a culture of ease and getting what we want. And, you know, talking about this kind of stuff is not a very, it's not a common sermon topic or 
great point of faith. You don't build churches on this stuff. You really don't. I, I went on uh, Amazon Books and I looked at, I just put in God's prosperity. And I just looked at all the books that came up. Some famous books about God's going to prosper you this, the 10 steps to prosperity, the, the steps to this, and unlocking the key to God's prosperity and, and all this stuff. And I'm, it's a very strong influence in our life. But Jesus did something very interesting, very, very counterintuitive. It says he was able to face the shame and the rejection and the betrayal and the torture of the cross because he was focused on what was beyond it, beyond this life. That's what the motivating force, that's what the strength was, that's what the ability was, that he was able to look past this life to the next. And if that's what Jesus used to face difficulty and hardships, I think we should be doing the same thing. Matthew 6, 19 to 20. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So what is that saying? Make the things of heaven what is most important to us. There was a, a, an old preacher years ago that Ray Bloomfield, and uh, he used to say something, God is his magnificent obsession. And he makes God his magnificent obsession, and we're called to do the same thing. To, and, it, and it doesn't happen naturally. Uh, it, it just doesn't. There's forces working on you and I that are constantly trying to turn us away from God, trying to constantly diminish our opinion, our trust, our perspective about God. It takes work to make God our magnificent obsession. It really does. But shifting from a Christian culture mindset that God wants you to have a lifestyle equal and probably better than that that is around you. The Western standard of living and what we, what we expect as comfort and ease is staggering. It really is. What we in the West are expect as a standard of living and a standard of convenience and ease, it's nuts. That's why the whole world, like I said, that's why the whole world wants to come here. They're going, what? You can have two cars, a huge house, and uh, three fridges, and, and nine bathrooms, and what? Really? You can, well, let's go over there. <laughs> That's why the whole world's coming here. I remember years ago when I became a, a Christian back in 1980, and it was 1983, and uh, I got, had started communicating with this pastor who was here. He was in Spryfield at the time, and he was from Tulsa. Oklahoma. I didn't know the relevance of that until afterwards, but Tulsa, Oklahoma was really the birthplace of the prosperity doctrine. And it's and certainly one of the real centers of it. And I remember him and his wife talking to Sandra and I, and he said something, he said, you know, if you don't have as good a car as your neighbor, how are you going to tell them anything about Jesus being good? And I went, I don't know much, but I don't think that's right. <laughs> and the whole philosophy was that you should have as good as the world has, but even better because that says that the blessing of God is on you. The Apostle Paul in a jail cell did not fulfill that very well. And so, but you have to agree that we have all, in some way, I don't know, I've read the books, I've looked at it, and I've gone, well, yeah, I'd kind of like that. I would kind of like to unlock God's multiple blessings and have the finances rain down and have the doors open and let the party continue, as we were referring to Christianity in the 90s, as the great party. Um, but that just doesn't jive with the New Testament. And it doesn't jive with, with Jesus either. To shift away from such an expectation uh, is hard, but it's being forced on us. Have you seen the price of gas lately? There are people that cannot come to church anymore because it's costing them too much to drive. And I understand that. 
It's, it's expensive. It says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Notice that the joy spoken of here awaits Jesus on the other side of the cross. We've got to get this. We are given a rare glimpse of something precious here into a time when Jesus was noticeably full of joy. It's a wonderful example of it. And these, these times of joy must have been rare because Luke makes real mention of it. And remember, Luke was writing down what had been passed down, and it were, was the most memorable and the most wide, widely accepted truths of what Jesus' life was all about. So this event actually was so kind of, you know, surprising to the disciples that it made it into the document, and it was something that they remembered. We, have, we see two things here, the disciples' joy and Jesus' joy. Luke 10, 18 to 21. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, we could stop right there and have a, a huge discussion, but nonetheless. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. At that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is what really struck them. And he said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do this this way. Do it this way. So wonderful. So we look at, first of all, the disciples' joy. The disciples' joy should not come from their authority and power over principalities. Jesus instantly corrected it. It's not what's in this world. It's not what's in this world. But rejoice because their names are registered in heaven. I spent a long time looking at that statement, that word are. And when you go through it, their names at that moment were registered in heaven. And we say, well, what's that registered in heaven thing all about? And there's some scriptures here, Revelation 20 and 12. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Psalm 139, 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That's a very reassuring piece of truth. Daniel, at that time, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. And I, I don't want to be crazy, fanatical, crazy, but I'm telling you, we are much closer to that than I think we realize. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Philippians, and I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they work hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. And finally, Revelation. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There's a scripture you don't hear preached about very much. That's reality. God's keeping track. And we say, how can God have everyone's name and every day and everything? And I was saying to someone this week, I have a little thing on my phone, Google. Google, and it, it you know, I forget what it's called, what the name of it is, but it, every month it sends me a report and it tells me everywhere I've been. Everywhere I've been. I can see all the places I've been <laughs> all through. I said, was I there? Why was I there? but it tracks you. You can turn it off on your phone, but Google is doing that for everybody in the world who has Google, and it's able to keep track of that. And there's much more minutia that it's able to track. That's what a man-made piece of software can do. Imagine what God is capable of being able to do. The disciples' names were written in heaven before they got there. This just jumped out at me. I don't know why it was significant, but it was. Their life of faith was not an audition for salvation. You are not on audition on whether or not you're going to be, make it into heaven. You don't have to fulfill some kind of script, some kind of dance routine, 
some kind of something in order to get into heaven. Your names are already there. Jesus didn't say that their names will be, might be, could be. He said they are in heaven. And yours and mine is also there. It's there. It's, to me, that just really spoke of something, Keith. You d this is not an audition. You don't have to succeed in a certain way so that you're going to make it. In actuality, Jesus says he's the one who's going to perfect our faith. He's the one who's going to show us how to do this. He's the one who's going to enable us to do this. He's the one who's going to correct. He's the one who's going to adjust. He's the one who's going to reflect to us about what needs to change. All we have to do is listen. All we have to do is read the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our life through it. Come to church on a regular basis. Be around other Christians. And gradually, God will guide us through and along that path you're going to find out some really disturbing things about yourself you really are but that's when we press in even more that's when we don't run away because we think we're broken we go forward because we know who can heal us and who can strengthen us i, I was downstairs praying before this and a picture came into my mind I was praying i just said god i just want to I don't want to be all wrapped up in what you can do and setting me free and getting this done and getting this done and having the right thing. In here. I said, I want to find you. I just want to find you. I want to see you. Don't take away the storm of my life. Don't take away the storm. Let me find you in my storm. Let me find you in it. it we spend so much time trying to get God to calm our storms and change our circumstances that are difficult and challenging. And I know we, that, that's not a, a stupid thing to do. That's not a, a vain thing to do. But when it becomes the sole purpose of our connection with God, that is an idol. It's an idol. And when our whole purpose of getting in front of God is to get him to answer some more prayers and change some more circumstances and somehow bring into reality what we want brought into reality, then where is the relationship in that? Like, it's like that is above God. We, first of all, should seek God with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, and all our soul. That, that will take care of everything else. Because if it's a difficult situation in your life, that God for some reason is not moving, if you see God in it, if you are in connection with God, you'll be able to get through that. You will. And if it's something that needs to be moved, well, God will move it. But I think we first have to see the one who's going to move it, not just him moving it. We ha it's all focusing on him. I really believe we need to get that because we're going to see so many things change in our life. We're going to see difficulties. We're going to see things that we used to have easily not be so easy anymore. We're going to see some conveniences disappear. We're going to see things are going to change. Yeah. And they're going to change fast. And we need to be able to get off this prosperity idea of God taking every problem out of our life and start focusing on being able to be in love with a God in spite of those problems and not have it bring some weird thinking into our heads about the fact that because everything is difficult, God doesn't love us anymore, and God has somehow abandoned us, which he said he would never do. But we need to understand the Father, Jesus, God. Seek that first, and then everything else will come into place. The joy that Jesus wanted them to have was not earthly authority and power but in their heavenly destination. And I gotta confess to you, I've spent a, a long time not with a heavenly destination perspective. Well, especially if you're in leadership because you think it's your job to do everything. And you think it's your job to change everything. And you think if you do the right things and the right things will happen and you get so focused on, on church and doing it and making sure everything is right and being up on the latest church trend and doing whatever the big churches are doing, because, of course, in our culture, we think bigger is better, 
and it's, that means God's more with them than they are with a little small church. Trust me, I've talked to enough pastors who are absolutely hobbled by the fact they're just in church growth craziness. I hope that it's always because we want to see people get saved and come to know Jesus. I hope it's not just because we think if we have a bigger church, then somehow God's favor is on us and we are somehow better and then we are, are affirmed in who we are in Christ. Trust me, that's in there. That is in there. But it's our heavenly destination that we are going to be with the Lord and that our names are written in this place. It does help. It does help. If you don't have a heavenly destination thinking in your mind, we'll get caught up in all of this and it's going to be a mess. Jesus' joy, he saw for the first time when he saw this, when these guys came back and they were hooping and hollering about the fact that they had seen the power of Jesus' name in action. They saw people get healed by their own prayer and hand. They saw all this happening. They saw people getting delivered. And this just set Jesus to dancing. Now, we don't know what it was that made them think that he was full of joy. He must have obviously done something. He, he, he started to pray to the Father. So maybe he just went into this ecstatic prayer or something and, and just jumping around. I don't know. But he went into an incredible fit of joy over what he had just seen. And I think what it's all about there is he saw for the first time what the church was going to look like. He was given a little glimpse of why he was here, even though he knew why he was here, but he saw a little glimpse of what the effect was going to be. For the first time, he saw the church. These 70 people went out and they were spreading the kingdom of God and this just set Jesus on fire. It just absolutely made him jump for joy. It's just a little bit of a teaser of what was to come. So when we look at it, what we're supposed to learn from this all it, and what Hebrews is telling us is that it is not what's happening here. What is going to enable us to endure persecution and struggle and all of these things is not what happens here. And I know a lot of us are going through some tough stuff and I do not believe that we have to sit and take everything that life throws at us and just say, oh, that's God's will. That's craziness. You know, that is craziness. And I've, I've seen faiths that believe that it doesn't matter what happens, it's just God's will, and that's the way it is. Well, you know that's not true. Because sometimes there's stuff that comes into our life that is sent to do destruction, and we have an authority over that. And it might take some time to get that authority fully, but we have it. Doesn't mean we have to accept every illness. Doesn't mean we have to accept every setback. Doesn't mean that we have to just uh, not have any say or any ambition or any dreams or hopes. God is certainly here to fulfill those. He wants to finish the good work that he's begun in Christ Jesus in our life. He actually, we look at his, what Jesus did when he was here. He healed people and he delivered people and he brought people into communion and, and he did so much wonderful stuff. Jesus wants to do that in your life. Absolutely. We just have to make sure, and you've heard the old thing, that it's not just the hand that we're seeking of God, but we're seeking the face of God. That we're seeking the person of God. And I believe once that happens, then the other stuff will happen quite easily. But until then, yes, absolutely. Scripture says keep knocking, keep asking. If you knock, the door will be open. If you ask, the answer will come. Keep doing those things. But understand that Jesus was able to endure everything that he went through because of what was awaiting him, the joy awaiting him. And I'm thinking we got to get our head around that. We really do, because 
there's something powerful about that if Jesus was doing it and that's what got him through, then it will get us through too. That we think about what's to come. And there was a, a lady came and spoke at New Life Center years ago. Bellinger, I think her last name was. And they called her the Mother Teresa of Calcutta, of uh, Hong Kong. And she, Jackie Pullinger, that's it. How many know that name, Jackie Pullinger, a famous woman? She went as a, I think it was a teenager, maybe in her 20s, went to Hong Kong. God just told her that, you know, I want you to work in inner city Hong Kong with the triads, which were a mean gang system in Hong Kong. And she said there was a whole inner world inside Hong Kong. There was Hong Kong, and then there was this inner world of gangs and, and structures and powers and it's violence, really violent stuff. And she went in there, and, and over the decades, she was able to create uh, safe houses and drug rehabilitation places and job-making things for people coming out of the gangs and stuff. It was amazing. Her story was amazing. But I, I was at the back of the church when she came in, and there's about five steps coming in the church, and she like was trying to get up the steps. And she's had a chronic back issue and has had real struggles, real struggles in her life. Um, she's had wonderful glories. She had a, a, a theory. She said that God kind of spoke to her. If you see it, you're responsible for it. I went, oh, no. And she said uh, she was going by somewhere, and this was during the uh, Vietnamese when they were getting out of Vietnam and all the boat people of that time. I think it was in the 70s, late 70s, 80s. And she was going by the TV, and she looked, and in somewhere there was this island. I think it was Hong Kong Harbor or somewhere. Um, and there was an island there, and all the refugees had just been dumped on the island because the government didn't want them in the city for you know, because of disease and whatever else. And there they were. They didn't have food. They didn't have anything. And she said, and God said, if you see it, you're responsible. <laughs> and she talked about how she said, okay, Lord, okay. We have to feed these thousands. And there's thousands of people there. And um, so she somehow worked it and had container loads of fruits and vegetables and oranges and all these stuff, somehow got it to the island and she took care of it. But at the same time, she talked about the physical struggles of her life and the difficulties of what she's had to exist. Yes, yes, we, we can deal with some stuff that is chronic, and for whatever reason, you know, Paul had it. Paul said, take this away, Lord. Three times he said, take it away. But God said, my grace is sufficient in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. And, you know, so, boy, that makes you look at God. And God is saying, in spite of that thing you're suffering, I am still going to do through you what I said I was going to do through you. <coughs> and as Jackie hobbled up those steps at the back of the church, you know, you see somebody, though physically struggling, has, is doing incredible work. So just because we're impeded some way, does not mean that God cannot use us and that we are not somehow uh, destined for great things and capable of great things. Just because if we're waiting around to get perfect and we're waiting around to get that fixed and that fixed and that fixed, well, there's, that's going to be a long time because that's going to take forever. And it won't be until we get in heaven. But Jesus said, it's what was heavenly waiting. That's what we need to look at and say, God, Regardless, I know where I'm going. I know my name is written. And everything is going to try to come and try to take that away from us and try to make us not believe that and try to think that God has left us. But he's saying, no, your name is written in the book. It's there now. Father, we thank you for what you're saying to us this morning, Father. We thank you about being heavenly minded and the importance of being heavenly minded. And Holy Spirit, I just pray today that, Lord, if we have something, 
I just feel to do this. If we have something that is something we've been coming to you about, something that we really want changed, something that has been with us for a long time, and it just seems to preoccupy and override all of our other kind of thinking. Lord, if we have something like that this morning, just bring it to our mind. And Lord, as you bring it to our mind, we just want to give it to you. And as God shows you what it is, just stand and just, you know, symbolically give that to God. Just give it to him. Father, we give you our issues and our needs, those things that we have prayed and prayed and have always come at you about. And Lord, we don't want it to be an idol. We don't want it to be a distraction. We don't want it to be what defines our life and our position and condition in you. We just give it to you right now. And Father, let our view go from the issue to you. Come and fill that place that that issue once filled. Let us see your face. Let us see you, Jesus, in the storm. And Father, we just ask forgiveness for any way that we have elevated our issues above our relationship with you. Ask your forgiveness, Lord. We repent of that. We repent. And we break any spiritual strongholds, any ways that it has hindered your divine hand in our life. We just break that off and ask now that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would come in and renew that part of us. Redeem it, Father God. Father, we thank you and we seek your righteousness, your face, your person, your truth, O oh God. And you'll take care of the details. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If anyone has a thought or a word or anything, I'm just going to take a moment and just anything that came to them, a picture or a thought or scripture during the service. Lord, we just wait for a moment. The microphones are there if you do. Hallelujah. Just pull it up here. I just was in the congregation, of course, and uh, mind drifting to what's going on and taken in, and I saw somebody building a building. There were, there was a footing down, and we were going in and taking blocks in it and putting it around the footing and building something. We were building a house. That was this church. I took it to be this church building a house, mm -hmm. a house of the Lord, not any particular house, but the house of the Lord. Um, 
that to me was indicative of all the churches that are listening to the Spirit. Mm. Yeah, God hasn't given up on uh, the church. <laughs> That's for sure. He's still building it. First Peter five eight mm. speaks of us being alert and awake and aware. And exactly what exactly what Jerry said, mm. that the enemy comes in to steal, to kill, and to destroy, does not want that church built up does not want us to know who we are in Christ, does not want the fulfillment of what God has for us individually and corporately, does not want it. We have one in us that is greater than he who is in the world. The Word of God says that. And we need to begin to believe that on, on a fervent basis, yes. that God actually is greater than the one that we perceive is taking everything that's good and wondrous and purposeful away from us. Mm. Amen. Amen. I was sitting here meditating on the painting that we saw mm. and the word that was spoken. We're a privileged people. Mm. I saw God as the big mother bird or the mm. father bird coming, providing a nest for his children, providing food, everything that that bird needed to grow. Mm. And then we think about us as human beings and in the t a time in which we live, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. Mm. But we're a blessed people mm. because we have God the Father who knows every situation we're in, who's provided us with what we need to survive. Mm. But the greater part is what you spoke about, what's ahead. Mm. This world is not our home. Mm. Thanks be to God. Yes. We're moving forward, and we're moving to a place where there'll be no sorrow, there'll be no tears, there'll be no pain, mm -hmm. and all of the strife that we're dealing with. Praise the Lord yeah. that he is our father and that he takes care of us as the bird looks after the young. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was uh, thinking about that, I was looking at the picture, uh, I got that sense. I just heard God say, I will always be there. I will always be there. Yeah, always. I will always be there for you. And uh, if there's anything we need to know, that is something we need to know. Um, again, as situations and circumstances might make us think otherwise, you know. So we're, it's, it's, it's wonderful. George. Uh, you were saying, you know, we need to realize our walk and our relationship with God is what comes first mm. and foremost. Mm. And God has been telling me for a while back, be still mm. and know that I am God. And what you just said this morning resonated in my heart. Mm. God was saying to me, son, our relationship is what matters. I know about all these things, mm -hmm. but then also what you said, we have to go through things. Jesus said again, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah. But God, just in what you said today and what he's been saying, be still and know that I am God. Mm -hmm. I'm bigger than the problems. I want you to have that relationship and focus on me. And that's walking together, but yeah. that's what you have to do. Amen. Thank you, George. Oh. Yeah. 
though the Bible speaks about um, not one sparrow falls to the ground without mm. God knowing it. And it, he says, aren't you more valuable than these sparrows? Mm. That's right. Yeah, like regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what it is that we may find our context to be, that God, that we are important to God. And when you think about that, the sparrow, well, how we said this before, how many sparrows are there in the world? Never mind all the other birds. And, and Jesus, unless he was just lying and just trying to be dramatic, but he said not one of them falls without the Lord knowing. So take that, Google. <laughs> um, but the, the fact is that God knows us and knows each of us and is watching us. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Margaret, you had a scripture there? While I was looking at the picture that Stephanie had there, the verse is very familiar. This is what came to me. He will cover you with his feathers. Mm. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Amen. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, Jerry? When you see uh, pictures, videos of birds, <laughs> um, the birds in the nest are just, as soon as the mother shows up, <coughs> like, and really, like, badgering uh, the, the mother, I want something, I want something, I want something, and, th and it is a real expectation, isn't it? They don't think that the mother's just coming back for a visit. They're coming back with food, and I want some. And because they need it. And it is speaks to expectation, having a sense of expectation. How horrible it would be for us to come into this church on a Sunday morning and go, well, I'm just a church. And I don't like the songs. Uh, There's not my style. And, um, you know, what a terrible way to come in to a situation. But to come in saying, you know what? God woke me up this morning. I feel to come to church. He must have something he's saying to me. There must be something. And again, it comes back to, ir, ir, like, regardless of your context, regardless of your infirmity, regardless of the struggle, whatever brokenness might be there, it does not change God's commitment, love, and contract of love with us. Amen. It does not change it. As when I was downstairs again, when I was thinking, I had a picture of myself. I said, Lord, I just want to serve you this morning. Just help me to serve you somehow. And what I saw was a kid waiting for instructions, and he had a broken leg, and he was on a crutch, and he was saying, I'm ready. I, I may not be able to do much, but what I can do, I'm going to do. <laughs> and I said, Lord, that's all I can give you. Right? That's it. But I, I'm, I'm ready. Uh, and, you know, what God is going to turn that away? Whatever brokenness you have, whatever situation you're dealing with, God can use you in the state that you were in. I am a living example of that. And so you all, I know your lives are a living example of that. And there's no brokenness that you need to get over and then everything will happen. You get done in the doing as you dare to take a step and say, I'm just going to do this, I could stop and pray and fast for 20 days or 50 days or whatever it is, and, and God takes us away, and then I'll be okay. Trust me, that's gone through my mind many times in the last two years. Um, and I stepped away once, which was a mistake. But you, you stand up and you say, I'm here. I might, be, I might have a broken leg and a broken arm, and, but I'm here, and we're going to do what we can do. And it's amazing what God can do with one hand if you offer it to him. It's amazing what God will do with a broken person who is willing to come and serve and, and follow, not serve, follow. And 
uh, I had some pastors from across the country that I meet with on a weekly basis and they prayed for me on Thursday and just said, stand, Keith, stand, stand. And that's something, that, that is something I think the church is more and more going to have to get okay with. You may not be making great strides forward, but you're standing. You're, sta- you're here and you're believing and you leave the rest up to God. And, you know, though things seem to be coming to a little bit of a crunch in the church, like everything is really seeming to come to a crunch here, but it's just that icebreaker kind of thing where the icebreakers go up onto the ice and then eventually the weight breaks the ice and on they go. And so we're going forward and you're going forward. Keep our mind on what is ahead, like Tony was saying. Take joy in that. Sometimes it's hard. It's hard to get your head out of this world and into that one. But do that. And from it will come a hope and a strength and a joy. And finally, all I'll say about that is I I told you about it before in 1994 when I was at that conference. And I had had five days of hell at this conference in Toronto. Anxiety, every horrific thing. I had everyone pray for me except Moses. I mean, I had people praying for me in that conference and I was just stricken. I I was going to go to a hospital at one point during the week. I said, I can't. And on the Friday, on the Saturday night, this young guy standing there, I don't know where he came from. He's in denim, denim jacket. He had long hair. He had an earring. He had, he was just, I think he had sandals on, just a funky looking guy. And he said, do you want to be prayed for? And I'm standing there and I said, well, why not? <laughs> Everyone else has. And this guy comes home and just starts praying on me. I said, can I? I said, oh, man, like, I just feel really heavy. I said, I got to kneel down. And then I said, whoa, I feel real. I got to lay down. I won't go into it all. But I finally stood up in this state of just, oh, my heavens. And I saw at the back of this room that held 4,000 people, a window like that. And I saw it way at the back. I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell you again because it encourages me. And it came around, and then it got, and all of a sudden, it, when it turned full on to me, this white light just hit, and I fell, and I went flying across the floor, landed at the legs of somebody that I was there with, and I'm just br- over and over again. I just saw God, the power of God. Uh, three times I had to tell God to back away from me because it felt like I was going to just die. This, the, the power was so strong. And I spent six hours, six hours in a state of absolute glory. And and I'll tell you, that place is a place of joy. It's a place of safety. It's a place where everything is okay and just love the love of God that just lets you know everything is okay and that's what we're going to we'll have to fight to get there but Jesus has overcome the world and therefore we will overcome in him father we thank you today And Lord, as we take up an offering, we just thank you for what you're doing and where we're going and who you are. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The thing is at the back. I just wanted to share the scripture that God reminded me of again yesterday. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Mm. Amen. Thank you, Judy. I've just been I've just been really sensing this piece of trust as we see that little baby bird with its mouth open for the mom bird, father bird to feed it. Um the piece is the fact that the bird is blind. The little bird is blind and can't see even what 
the mother bird is going to provide. And I felt like the Lord just kept saying, we need to trust that God knows how to feed us well. He knows what we need to experience. Mm. And even though we don't even know, we think we know what we might want or crave. But I felt like, again, it comes back to what we talked about last week, that Eve did not believe that God would not withhold anything that was the best for her. And, you know, sometimes, often, suffering is best for us because it takes us mm. to that new level of dependence on the Lord. You know, my sister has a, had a chronic illness for many, many, many years. And through that, she has written book, like uh, blogs and she's working on a book and things that are incredibly impactful that would not have come had she not slowed mm. down and had this chronic illness. So trusting that the Lord knows how to feed us in the way that is going to be most abundant, most life-giving for us. Mm. We yeah. are blind yeah. baby birds. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> Thanks. It really is true. God, God made our story, and he's making our story. And we have to trust that it's his story. So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for all that's been said all that we have heard. I pray you go with us now by your spirit. Angels, go with us and protect us as we go through this week. And let us come back next week with the testimony of your goodness and your grace, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So have a great week. If you want prayer, just come up and the chairs will be here.